ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, we are finishing off Freddy vs. Jason on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, and it's your old pal Patrick Hens. I'm coming to you once again from 1428 Elm Street and Camp Crystal Lake. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the goriest of details where a serial killer's end is just the beginning of the jokes that we're going to make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust to give a uh, uh, mouth to mouth to an undead backwoods mutant. The one the only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? Once again, we are on the same wavelength. I was going to make a joke about uh, giving you mouth to mouth when you're drowning, which is not at all the the not at all correct first aid protocol. You know, I didn't learn much in my brief tenure as a Boy Scout, which of course I will remind listeners I was the third youngest Eagle Scout in all of California when I earned the rank simply to never have to wear the uniform again. I was also a lifeguard at a Boy Scout camp when I needed money for a car. And one of the first things they told us is don't give mouth to mouth to people who are currently drowning. Get them out of the water first. And you tend to just kind of turn them on their side. Do you <laughs> yeah. not? See, when, when someone's actively coughing and spitting up water, you don't just, you know, hem and haw and, ew, oh no, ew, while determining uh, that you should give them mouth to mouth. Yes. Uh, but before we get too far into this, Gina, I, I don't want to scare you, but we are not alone. That's right. We have a special guest. She is a writer for the uh, Vulture.com. And of course, she's also the co-host of one of my favorite shows, Disaster Girls. The one, the only, Jordan Cruciola. How are you doing today, Jordan? I, you know, in in this in this pandemic time, mm-hmm. I I think on the scale of of conditions, I'm doing quite well. I'm weathering <laughs> it well. I'm uh-huh. feeling good. good. So I'm very grateful for that, and I'm thrilled to be here with you guys. Oh, well, thank I'm you. so excited <clears throat> to have you here. It's a this is um, a weird confluence of events. I I thought of holding off on asking you to be on the show until we had something that really combined the worlds of both of our podcasts. But you guys <laughs> also cover creature features oh, as definitely. a sort of animal attacks sort of disaster. Yes. And I feel like these two IPs smashing against one another is in fact a disaster in the making. This is Well, this is King Kong versus Godzilla of the horror universe, basically, as far mm-hmm. as, you know, what we've given our, our super killer... Uh, sort of Hall of Fame. So there are parallels here, and I think they, you don't even have to go that deep to find them. I think they're quite plain to see. <laughs> they very much are. Uh, they certainly are titans. Uh, <laughs> I I had forgotten <clears throat> up until uh, this recording, uh, and then I reviewed some background materials, that they had a Vegas uh, Tale of the Tape press conference where basically uh, Robert England bad mouse the poor guy in the jason suit who couldn't talk back for a half an hour <laughs> which seems like not very entertaining like the clips no. they show like oh well that seems spicy but i can't imagine sitting there for 35 minutes while it fucking happens no that feels in just torturous so jordan what was your first experience with uh again this this meeting of two giant horror icons uh, when did you first witness their grand battle? Um, I forget when in high school it was. It would have been later high school because I had my license to drive at that point. And I was a Hollywood video junkie. Mm-hmm. That was my store of choice. And I would go and my move was to just walk through the aisles and either, you know, grab things I'd heard of or find the the boxes with the coolest pictures or the actresses that in, actors, actresses that interested me most and then grab mm-hmm. them and be like, let's give this a shot. So obviously being being a horror fan, it was like, OK, guess I better notch Freddy versus Jason onto the belt. And mm-hmm. so grabbed that and and took it home and then watched in the family room downstairs, which is sort of my little camp out where I'd watch all my my movies and TV. And gosh, that would have been, what what year did this movie come out? 2003? Yes. Okay, so yeah, I was a couple years behind the curve then. So this probably would have been 
or no, yeah, like right at the end of high school for me, this would have been a new release rental. I think of it now and it could not be a better like case study in like the aesthetic tropes of the 2000s. So I'm really glad I watched it when it came out so I could be in the middle of those things and then now watch it again after the fact and have such a fucking time capsule of what the 2000s looked like. Oh, oh yeah, that's that's been a running observation since we started this. It, oh, my yeah. God, the, the clothes, the hair, it, it's so very, very 2003. Oh, yeah, chunky highlights, underwear as accessories. You like, know, tiny, the tiny little, you know, lower back flower tattoo. Absolutely. Had either of you noticed that before this particular? No, like, I, I think that they forgot to cover it. I, I, uh, I'm, pretty sure it had, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure it had probably been covered or her shirt wasn't supposed to ride up as high as it did but i i don't think right. that was meant to be to be seen i think that was a uh a, a continuity error yeah. at best keeping up with the continuity errors yes yeah yes for, for a person whose virginity is made to be some sort of accessory or liability <laughs> or both uh lower bank tattoo seems like an out of place sort of thing not that it really well, should be like why would i care these are high schoolers right yeah. like this girl would not have gone to get a tattoo without the permission of her parents and her parents were not giving her that permission no. like that this was not like a i got drunk and got a tattoo on my lower back kind of girl not that that's like a good or bad kind of girl but the character as we are presented with would not have done that no, she has to be cajoled into just gathering with other people and <laughs> by someone who seems to live for the idea of just cajoling her to do things. Yes, exactly. So who's still left alive at this point in the movie? Um, too many people. Honestly, <laughs> this, for as many deaths as occur in this film, the, the lead core group really does survive up until the very end. Yeah. You have your your Lorries, your Kias, your Lindermans, and your Wills, and then Freddie and Jason, and uh, inexplicably, Lori's dad survives, which... Yeah. Okay, here's something that I just want to... Let's get this out of the way, because this, this could last forever if I let it. The idea here is that Will saw Lori's dad kill Lori's mom uh-huh. in a flashback Inside of Lori's dream, we see Freddie somehow killed an adult woman. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I still still don't understand this 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 twist in it. I, I'm still not clear on on how this works or or how the <laughs> fact that it that it was actually Freddie absolves the father from kidnapping people's children and and warehousing them in a psychiatric hospital right. oh yeah i mean that, that that does not make what he did any better yes it, this is not a grand absolution for all of these things right it just meant one of the horrible things that she thought he did he didn't do but he did all the other horrible things <laughs> right and it, and it didn't like we don't need that does that moment doesn't need to happen at all because we also don't need that for us to know that Freddy's a bad guy and yeah. she doesn't need it to know that Freddy's a bad guy. Like we've established at this point, the like murdery death nature of this character, despite the fact that they have so much time spent in this movie, trying to remember who Freddy Krueger is by then it's pretty much sold. And we, we don't need this particular murder to be like, Oh, well that's a bridge too far. <laughs> You know, she was going to let everyone be bygones up until this point. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that, that he, he, this person who has never been known to kill an adult in the dream <laughs> realm decided to do that. And like, I just don't know how it advances Freddy's agenda. Yeah. I, I don't know how it helps Freddy be the Freddy guy if he kills this dude's wife. <laughs> How does that help? Again, we've confronted things in other movies like part seven of, of Friday the 13th. We're like, how does Bad News Cruise turn one telekinetic <laughs> girl equals dollar sign? Right. It, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't make any fucking sense the way he goes about <laughs> it. It's the same thing. Like, Freddy is bad at business. He's bad at the Freddy business, for Christ's sake. You're right. It's the one, it, it's, it's a case of you had one job. <laughs> Freddy has one job and he seems to keep fucking it up oh man he sucks at it I, I just and this is a particular circumstance where in this movie he's kind of bad at, at a couple things let's start off 
right in the opening section of this movie, which this is this flashback yes. to Camp Crystal Lake at yes. some indeterminate time in the actual Friday the 13th franchise. I think it would be 1957. Mm, okay. Because a year later is when Mrs. Voorhees kills the two kids in the boathouse who are dry humping while wearing polyester shorts. Right. And if that happened during us, that if that happened during a camp period, a summer camp period, then this would have been allegedly the previous Correct. summer camp period. Yes. Yeah, that seems that that tracks. Yes. So we will grant you that this is not a we, we have to interpret this as Freddie's interpretation of the events. Right. Or He's using Jason's nightmares about the event to bring this to life. Just like, I don't believe Jason lives on an island surrounded by decapitated heads and keeps (laughs) a spare mask hung on his closet door. (laughs) A prepared, a prepared serial killer. Yes. uh, Again, very neat room for a guy who hasn't bathed because he's essentially dead. <laughs> we'll get back to that. The essentially dead guy. But so we're in Camp Crystal Lake uh, and we're seeing a bunch of assholes throw rocks at a, a tween Jason. Mm-hmm. Lori appears only semi-wet. Those keeping track of when Lori is wet, semi-wet <laughs> or fully wet, this is semi Although she will get drier as we go. Yes. We get to see some camp, campers put a sack on his head, I guess, as a part two reference. Ah, uh, yes. I, I'm sure the everyone involved in this really broke a hand patting themselves on the back for that <laughs> one. Yeah, Freddie has, Freddy has an interesting idea of how summer camps are operated. <laughs> that, summer that, camps that, and that sex. That counselors are just out there boning <laughs> Broad fucking daylight, (laughs) fully clothed. This is what Freddy's idea of two semi-adult people having sex is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and that that moment when we, like, we see Jason being harassed. Lori is distraught that nobody's helping this little boy and she doesn't know who he is yet. And then we see her cut over, like, she looks over and it's the debauchery and the counselors. And you see the, you know, the counselors just going at it. And one of them then transforms into Freddy and the woman he's having sex with, of course, becomes a naked dead woman's body. And the, the level to which this movie had to take every single opportunity to do the gratuitous thing, like, like was de rigueur in the two thousands. Yeah. Really to me gets at the problem that we're going to talk about when we come to Kia's imminent death and how Mm. the buildup to that, where it, that is an example of why I don't trust the screenwriters in sort of their take on how mm-hmm. a very controversial line in this movie played out. Because mm-hmm. Freddie is a cad this entire movie to like a comical degree. He's a he's a pervert, which we already know he is, but it's jacked up to this like aughts horror level of like nihilistic comedian comedy and like edgelord humor. And I think this scene really shows us how much in 2003 we really are. Oh, oh yeah, God. yeah, yeah. This, it's very much, you know, this, this ain't your mama's, you know, nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I mean, it, this is, you know, this is your extreme you know, guitar riff, Nightmare <laughs> yeah. on Elm Street. Yeah. I mean, the amount of butt rock alone. I mean, the, there are elements in this that just, uh, he is the, Freddie becomes the anti-Jason in that Jason yeah. uses your fuck style against you mm-hmm. to kill you. Uh-huh, right. Freddie is so devoid of genuine sex appeal and knowledge that when he is supposedly having sex with this dead naked girl, yes. the sound effect is sounds like an eraser being run over by a rocking chair. Oh my God. <laughs> no. that, that is, that's fucking Looney Tunes. What am I supposed to be afraid of here? Right. If it's if it's a good time, this isn't a good time. And if it's supposed <laughs> to scare me, it's not doing that either. It's this weird middle ground where he's too much. There's no feel good Freddy going on here where we we started to get two and four and five and and unfortunately into six, where all your fears that he uses against you is like trying to help you work through them to yeah. death. <laughs> yeah. Here, that's all out the window. And it's it's kind of like 
they're working so hard to make these inconsequential things work with the canon that they forgot the consequential things to work into canon. But then again, no one knows how Freddy works. No I feel like Freddy at, at this point in the at this point in like his mythology, it feels like what the the people who put this together created was Freddy is a reply guy on Twitter. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Like totally. he, you know, he's gonna he's gonna step in with the worst rejoinder, something that's just obscene. You're like, do I know you? And he has 17 <laughs> followers. There's nine numbers in his handle. He's so fucking annoying. He like doesn't like Trump, but he does MAGA shit just to piss people off. Like yeah. that's Freddy at this point. And that's not Freddy Krueger. <laughs> now um, I, I definitely like my Freddy when he doesn't talk that much. And, yeah. and he doesn't talk a lot in the first, the first couple, but mostly the first one. The second one, he kind of becomes a little more conversational. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I really like the, the kind of muttering sort of, you know, you could barely hear him, Freddie. And here he's just wisecracking and being gross. And I just, yeah, I don't, I, I don't like it. it. It's, you know, a lot of it's, it's spells out things for the audience and a very you know, large type with no, you know, big words to make it hard to understand way <laughs> and and it, it muddles the message a little bit because i feel like almost like the audience is supposed to kind of feel a little sorry for jason yes oh absolutely yes. he's like, our, in much. our in our godzilla versus kaiju showdown he is jason becomes our godzilla who will save us from the actual like the the adversarial kaiju yeah which which makes what happens with kia it's like okay i don't know how i'm supposed to feel about this you know, I mean, I mean, yeah. obviously the audience is supposed to think it's funny that, she, you know, that, that that she gets killed because she's sassing off and, and you know, she thinks she's got the upper hand, but she doesn't. And, and, and you know, and, but then it's Jason that kills her, even though she's kind of on his side. Yeah. And, 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 but I don't know, like, you know, am I supposed to feel sorry for Jason because he was picked on as a little boy? I, I, I. I don't know what the message I'm supposed to take away from this is. It's very, very <laughs> weird. Well, and I think yeah. that is, I think that's such an important, I think that's such a, an, a crucial kernel to turn of the millennia horror where there was truly nothing to take away from so much of it to where when I watch them now, what I watch movies from that era now, not, not all of them, not the legitimately, really good movies like wreck and let the right one. And like, yes, those are great movies in any time period, but like house of wax, all of the Texas chainsaw massacres, carriers, like movies that were just about putting WB cast members and like hip hop and R and B stars into scary movies and capitalizing off like the zeitgeist buzz of people. And it was like before the indie, the the small budget movie was dead. So these movies got way more money than they should have. And it's just, I've come to find a lot more joy in it than I used to, but it is truly the cotton candy era of this genre. They want to return it back to something, but no one can quite <laughs> recapture the tone yeah. of what they like. Right. Like I, this was, this was, uh, we covered this in the last episode, but like the part where, where Jason turns back into a little boy and he's crying and Freddie's like torturing him. And I'm like, I'm yeah. like, what am I supposed to be feeling here? This is... <laughs> This is like, this is upsetting, but I don't know that it's upsetting in a way that the filmmakers, I, I, I think what, what, what Jordan said is, you know, let's see how far we're willing to take this. Well, here's a little yeah. handicapped boy that, 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 <laughs> that, that, oh, that, that Freddie's tormenting and it's like, Jesus Christ. Okay. I get it. You know, I, I mean, the, I think there's this, there's this era of, there's this era. It seems like, like it's that, that turn of the millennium time where it's the late nineties into early two thousands where you have this era of excess in the genre that like it started, I call it the sexy horror era because it started with scream and it became like the, the attack of the reef. Like we started refranchising again, like we did in the 1980s. It's like, Oh my God, we had a really good idea. Let's do it over and over again. Let's get the hottest cast members we can. Let's shove them in here. Let's write on the backs of their names for marketing. And it's like these hilarious but to me super endearing ensemble slashers like valentine obviously the continuation of like the i still know what you did in the scream franchises but then you have it bisected right in the middle by 9 11 
And then everything gets really in the way that we, I think, most commonly per- like identify it aligned with with like saw and torture and hostile. But the majority of movies coming out around that time were not torture tourism films. They were movies like this. It was the era of the MTV remake with a really nihilistic sensibility in a world that was sort of immersed in torture and the war on terror. So you got kind of the worst of all of our impulses where it was excess, ultraviolence, extreme humor that was like very, you know, popularized by sort of that like Sarah Silverman sort of mentality, like how far can we take the joke politically incorrect sort of thing. And you have that all boiling down into the horror genre of horror cinema of the era that's also being given pretty sweet budgets by studios that are putting these movies out. And you see it now and you're like, holy shit, this was just everything in the kitchen sink and everybody followed their worst impulses. They all learned the wrong lesson. That's exactly it. They they saw Scream and they saw you. I know what you did last summer. And they go, well, what worked there? Well, what worked there is you invested in characters and you made a twisty plot. You also created great action sequences, yeah. and suspense sequences that would hook an audience. Yeah, and an executive looks at that and goes, Henleys, tight Henleys, <laughs> low rise jeans. Um, if we like the the prettier they are, the better. Yes. and also. Let's work in more gore and people want more gore and people want uh, more nudity because that used to be part of it. And you're like, yeah, I mean, like you would have a sequence, but it wasn't like the reason you went. It's, oh, it's yeah. kind of like going to someplace and ordering a shake and they deliver 15 cherries <laughs> on top. And I'm like, well, that's why you're here, right? (laughs) You're here for beautiful people and sexiness. Like, no, there's like all that shit underneath you've ruined by pouring gross formaldehyde cherries on top. Well, I think I think what you say there is the is such an exact important thing to get at, which is learning the wrong lessons because you have studios, which you should never rely on to learn the right lessons for something. And then you have it seems like there was this interesting we'll say generation of filmmakers that seemed to have taken all the wrong lessons from the movies that they revered and were raised on in horror growing up like this like you know nightmare on elm street like friday the 13th like texas chainsaw massacre and they apparently the things that these men because they're all men we all know this Mm -hmm. that these men took from these movies growing up was like fuck yeah boobs fuck yeah blood and that's it right because that's most of what that era was. The unfortunate infusion of CGI over practical totally, effects. Totally, Because someone said they cost less because it takes less time. Because they're reducing the filming time yeah. in order to maintain your CGI budget. But you're making the effects work by not letting the effects happen on set. Yes. So you're sac- you're, you're stealing from Peter to pay Paul. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in the end, you get shittier things out of it and it all becomes a little bit more inconsistent for example one of the inconsistencies of this movie it is Mm -hmm. a small detail but it it is infuriating is that freddie's teeth keep changing oh they really do (laughs) his teeth keep changing his eyes keep changing at one one point he goes back to the uh the 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 classic pizza face makeup which uh Mm -hmm. i i I liked and i when you know in another scene he didn't have it anymore i'm like oh i missed that (laughs) yeah i don't want to see him with the weird vagina nose like put him in the old makeup it's fine so long as he's a little wet we just don't want dry freddy no we need a little bit of moisture in there it's like you have Robert Engel, you have the piece you want. It's not like you wanted to innovate this with a new actor. So why are you doing this with like the aesthetic of him? He's still got the he's still got the glove. He's got the sweater. He's got the hat. You've got Robert England. Why do you keep toggling with the central part of it beyond those components, which is like the skin and the face? Why? Yeah. I, at one point, he's kind of like demonic Freddy, which is like fine. If you want to like, oh, he's becoming more like the dream demon in this one. Book. Like, <laughs> that's fine. You contain it to that one thing. So it has impact. But if he's constantly morphing how he looks, mm-hmm. it just looks like you weren't paying attention. Yes. Speaking of paying attention. Yes. The counselors aren't. And so Jason begins to drown. And Lori, being the kind, wonderful, lower back tattooed individual <laughs> that she is, runs to the dock and attempts to rescue this child. Mm-hmm. When she discovers it is Jason. <laughs> 
So she rears back yep. and says his full name, Jason Voorhees. <laughs> I, I was kind of waiting for it to really stretch out like a mom, like Jason Michael Thomas Voorhees. <laughs> and in that moment, we learned that all lives don't matter to Lori. No. No, that's like, this isn't helping. I'm not here for this. I don't want any part of it. Yeah. But Freddie pulls Jason uh, under the dream waves and causes the Jason in the real world to start leaking corpse juice. <laughs> it's our old friend, uh, Gina, corpse juice. This section of the movie is full of it oh it, oh yeah it's a spraying leaking everywhere <laughs> and for some reason as you know you guys touched on at the very start kia is expected to perform mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on a person who's actively breathing <laughs> i it's mean like, I, if he's spitting water you guys that means he doesn't yet need mouth-to-mouth no this the high school that they go to which is overly crowded in the hallways and no one's seen a teenage girl cry before. Um, <laughs> they've never been taught any sort of life-saving maneuvers whatsoever. No. Uh, at one point they start debating who's going to do it. And the contender in my mind for, and for line of this section of the movie is Kia. He has asthma. Yeah. <laughs> Kia, have a heart. For crying out loud, he he cannot give mouth to mouth to that backwoods mutant. He has asthma. That's a perfectly legitimate excuse. It's a very big brother moment for Jason Ritter's character over <laughs> over Linderman at that moment. Like, yeah. how dare you, Kia? His asthma. <laughs> he has an inhaler, Kia. <laughs> can I just can I just also point out in this moment that that. Monica Kina is the worst actor I've ever seen of pretending to be asleep. She, I will, I mean, props to her. Her mirror face does not quit. She (laughs) is sucking in. She's serving cheekbones. Oh, yeah. She's pursing out the lips. She's leaving Mm -hmm. like the penny gap between them to maximize volume. She is not letting that shit slip one single time when she's asleep in this movie. She's yeah, very she, in control of her instrument. There's an arched back at all times. She, she <laughs> looks like she is starring in a community theater production of Sleeping Beauty. She's just very, <laughs> very aware that, that I must look attractive for some reason. Yes. While you are zonked out on, on a, on a very strong prescription sleeping medication, which you know, I, I don't want to talk about like personal you experience, but generally you're not looking like that when, <laughs> when you're under the influence of a very strong sleeping medication. Right. It's yes. a very pretty sleep drug that she's on. Yes. Um, but this causes a, a practical stunt ex, uh, sequence. And we love practical stunts here on the mm-hmm. show uh, where this van hits a tree and it goes over on its side and it sends Jason's body flying one way and the rest of them another. And, Give it up to the props guy, to the stunt guys. They did well with that. Yeah. But unfortunately, fact, remarkably, everybody just gets up and walks away from it. <laughs> I, I think, I think, I think Linderman's got a little tiny little streamer of blood on one side of his head. That's about it. Yeah, he he hit his he hit his noggin. It's unfortunate. Uh, Kia is kind of miming that she may have hurt her leg, but then it stops. <laughs> uh, she can't keep consistency between scenes. That would be someone telling her that and apparently no one talked yeah, to her this, this movie allegedly had a director but i have my suspicions it is such an odd difference between this and the controlled maniacal brilliance of bride of chucky oh my god i mean don don mancini and chucky have only gotten better with age true yeah. it, it is the only it is actually chucky's actually the only super killer franchise that has evolved over time. Yes. And it's a super franchise. Yeah, it's unkillable it. because you have someone who actually knows what to do with it in every era. It is so far and cares. way ahead of everyone else. And cares. <laughs> yes. And is able to reinvent itself towards the era uh-huh. in a non horrible way. Yep. It doesn't, it doesn't tend towards the trend. It just leans into a vibe. Well, and and it, is able to surprise. Yeah, and it like it, it, the the only purpose at a certain point, like at least past, let's say past the second movie of any of these super franchises, the only point of them is to recreate the original over and over again 
but in marginally different ways to like resell it. But it's mm-hmm. just about, hey, remember when you felt this way about a character? Well, we're going to make you feel that way again and make you spend money on it. Whereas Chucky is a whole contiguous journey of that character's entire life starting in like 1988 to the present. We are with Chucky for decades and his entire evolution over the course of it. He's not just reincarnated every episode so we can send him to space or put him in Manhattan or (laughs) like introduce him to a new set of high school kids. Like that's, that is not the point of the Chucky franchise. No, I bow. I don't think that we can really approach it here because I also feel there's a level of competence to a lot of them. (laughs) Yes. That we enjoy a level of um, incompetence here. Yeah, and I, I love, I love incompetent horror movies. It's, it's yes. a favorite of mine. <laughs> um, so they uh, manage to walk their way to uh, Camp Crystal Lake. Meanwhile, Lori is having a dream which Freddy uh, sexually assaults her. Oh, yeah. And if not, if not, like he's not actively raping her, but is really enjoying making jokes about raping her yes. um, as he's like sadomasochistically like cutting pieces out of her chest with his knife hands. And yeah. what is the line when he's like, um, I've got like, I, I've got to warn you, like the first time tends to get pretty messy. And it's yes. like, oh, that was something we needed to say here. That was necessary. That, and see, And this leads us to what we will be getting to in just a second. Mm-hmm. I, I want everyone to remember this. When, once we get to Kia's death, it's not this exclusive component. Yes. Where absolutely not. The grossness is is walled off on all sides. Mm-hmm. It's only this one incident which we all find regrettable. Mm-hmm. It's a series of individual decisions which all allow permission to get grosser and weirder and more off base. Absolutely. To the point where the Kia thing happens. And regardless of whose real idea it was, the the simple point was, even if it was in the second, yep. happening right at that moment, it still lasted until the final edit of the movie and they projected it on screens and now I have a Blu-ray of it. It is the logical end point of Freddy's entire persona throughout this entire movie. Like- yes. So uh, they reach Crystal Lake. They find themselves a, a little rundown cabin, which seems to be next to a construction site. And that's a movie that I would genuinely like. I want the movie <laughs> where they build a mall next to Crystal Lake and that oh, yeah. reawakens Jason. That would be fantastic. That Oh, my God. See, you can put that in the snow because then you have the excuse of people coming even when it's snowy outside. Because, of course, That's northern true. New Jersey, the snowiest place on earth. I know we all want Jason in the snow, but, folks, it's northern New Jersey, all right? But during this action sequence, we get a lot of things happening in a very quick succession. They drag Lori's body and they're still trying to wake her up. Jason bursts in through the door, but it's not a great door burst, in my opinion. They're more focused on this sudden appearance of a gas tank or a, a gas <laughs> container and an open flame. Where the fuck did uh-huh. this, where, where did that open flame emerge from? Very good question. Did they come with tiki torches? <laughs> Somebody set up for them. It must have been lost in the edit. But during the sequence, Kia uh, uh, hits Jason with the pipe, <laughs> which is I fun. was glad she got it. I was glad that she got active in that moment and that there was like an offensive tactic that was taken against them. I was like, all right, step up. Somebody swing away. <laughs> yeah, we're starting to get to the action sequence of this. And so we're, we're seeing people, you know, step up their game. Linderman attacks with a flagpole because yeah. he's sick, but he's not well. And, uh, Flagpole sitter, everyone. I like, got it. It's a flagpole sitter joke. But but in flagpole sitter, he was not sick, but he was not well. Yeah, because he's not sick, but he's not there, well. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, did, I'm with you. I'm I, with what you did now. I say? Uh, did I ruin the joke? No, I think Every- I might have heard you wrong. You nailed it. <laughs> this is my fault. I'm guesting, no. and I'm just bringing the jokes down. <laughs> Ah, if I got something wrong, please tell me. And then um, Jason lights the whole thing on fire for reasons. Right, yeah. 
Um, but uh, during this whole sequence, uh, Linderman gets wounded by being thrown up against a coat hook or oh, something like God. that. Oh, God. Awful. I, uh, that, this, this, his death actually makes me slightly emotional. Oh, Is this the first time that, that uh, a character in either of these, either of these series, like, like takes a little while to die of their, their injuries? <laughs> You're right. He makes it to like a whole different part. He makes it out of the building. Yeah. And he just kind of dies. With this, little, with this little smile on his face, like, what are you smiling about? <laughs> it's, he's like, he's like, he's like, yeah, I've had a good run. <laughs> it's so sweet. Like, Kia leads him out and leans him against a tree, and he just stiff up or lips it, and he's like, you go, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. It's like, oh, Linderman, no! <laughs> I wanted someone to find him at the end, and he was like that moment where someone falls into the camp, on, into the frame, and they're like, guys, I've been hurt, but I'm okay. I wanted that for Linderman. <laughs> Now that is a, he's lost a lot of blood. Oh, so much. It's just pumping out of his body. Poor Linderman. During this, Will drags Lori's hand across open flame. And so she wakes up, because why not? Uh, As she wakes up, she grabs onto Freddy in the dream world. And then he pops into the real world. And okay, baby, we're on. We're into our third act action sequence. I I do like, I do like Freddy's little like, what? Look, that, that does, that does, he just yes. looks absolutely startled, like yeah. like he just stepped on a Lego, and, it, and, it, and it's the best look. I love it so much. It's like a it's like a dog that ate all the toilet paper, and they're like, "What? You're home?" I don't know what canine came into this house and did that, but I am shocked. I, I am I am offended on your behalf right now. <laughs> I can't believe this mess that you're gonna have to clean up. I would, but I don't have thumbs, so. I I will hunt the real toilet paper killer until my last day. Which is what the end of this movie is going to be. He's going to hunt down the real toilet paper killer. (laughs) That's right. Cue the butt rock. Cue the nut shot. Cue defenestration because Jason hates windows. That's a longstanding thing, man. He hates doors and windows. Anything you come in and out of, he's not into it. Good point. My bitch counter broke. Uh, Uh, At one point, I, uh, I had a running bitch counter. And I want I rewatch sections too many times to keep it accurate. Right. I've heard it six, but that feels insanely low. Oh, does Freddie does Freddie exclusively refer to Lori as bitch? Like I think that's just her name in this movie for yeah. Freddie. Lori, bitch girl with no last name. He sounds like you know, you know when you are like on like a public bus or something like that. And you hear like a bunch of like twelve year olds. Yes, and, and every other word they say is fuck, and it's like, oh, you just discovered that word. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's now part of your daily routine. Good for right. you. Right, you just find a way to use it as much as possible. I, I feel like that's Freddie with bitch. Yes, yes. That one sequence in in Dream Warriors, and listen, it works. It works in that thing, but it doesn't like Freddie's tongue sometimes you have to let it go baby. <laughs> you just can't keep going to the same fucking well <laughs> if, if all we did at 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 kill by kill was just sing toilet over and over again it wouldn't have as much impact you have to let that toilet thing just happen when it's natural just let it Here, be natural just let it be natural. Here, they're just it's just like it's his catchphrase. Yeah. And quite frankly, it's not that catchy. No, it's like a it's like a verbal tick at that point. So that that brings us to this section that we have been teasing. We have been talking yes, about it literally since the, the first volume of Freddy versus Jason, and that is Kia's death. Which we, let's start with oh sweet dark meat. Which fuck and, you? Yep, yep. Uh, that's what I'm saying. This like the the idea that we will object to the impending homophobic slur so exclusively in this movie when there are jokes like dark meat directed at Kelly Rowland, when there are rape jokes directed at Lori. Like, are you kidding me that this is going to be our focus of our selective outrage in this entire? Okay, sure, sure. He's called. He's exclusively calling Lori bitch throughout this whole movie. But yeah, let's focus on this one thing. As though without it, without this one transgression, to be like, oh, modern <laughs> classic, modern oh, yeah. classic. We'd be showing it to school children in <laughs> yeah. fifth grade, yeah. so they would learn about the art of cinema. Yeah, and just it just gets weirder after that. Like the whole like, oh, you're you're compensating for the size of your dick which my god i guess I'm, I'm yeah it's just with. like it's not, stop it you know i mean it just feels juvenile and maybe that's the point they're trying to go after is that they're she's trying to emasculate freddie 
to distract him, but to what end? And then on top of that, you you get the F-bomb. And I, again, don't believe this is an isolated incident. No, it's, no. Even if it's it, improv, that was it in wasn't. The, that was in the script. Yeah, and, and like I, I've pulled up the interview where um, from Bloody Disgusting, where they are at the writers are asked, and the the quote in response is, "All we can tell you is we didn't write it, and we were really shocked when we heard it in the movie. We complained about it after the first screening, but it was never changed. It's a real stain on the movie, in our opinion. What about everything else you wrote?" Yeah. That's like, the, that's the main problem. Like, and, and if, and if, say if you did voice a concern with this, say you didn't come up with it, you did want it to be taken out after first screening, you have not established enough credibility for me to actually believe you are telling the truth in that, in that quote, given the entire screenplay that has come before it. I'm sorry. And this, this particular sequence, just from the start of it to the end of it. Yeah. Feels like. It, it may have been improv in the fact that no one knew how to how to kill off who would arguably be outside of Robert England, the most recognizable person in the entire movie. Yeah. yeah. Right. So obviously there's probably pressure from her end to mm-hmm. make this memorable, to make it something because she's dedicated this much time to doing this bullshit. Well, but and that was that was that was it was an unfortunate part of common vernacular in 2003. It's not surprising that um in a movie that's going to go to extremes in an era where extreme is what we want that this language is going to surface. It is it, that is an unfortunate artifact of that time. I don't think Kelly Rowland made that up on the spot. In the event, in the event that she did, or in the event that the director was like, you know, what would be great is if you is if you. You call him a faggot in a Christmas sweater. I think that'd really play right now. That is, there was nobody in that era that was going to police that effectively, really, from an executive level, out of a movie True. because yeah. people weren't doing that at the time. But the whole the whole thing is is gross. It's gross. Just it's the like, whole thing. The whole fucking thing. Yeah. So, in the end, I feel like the screenwriters have, and we've said this before, so I, I won't belabor the point. But I feel that she is getting the Janet Jackson Super Bowl treatment. Totally. I totally believe that. Everyone is foisting off like, well, she can take it. Mm -hmm. Nothing's really going to stop Kelly Rowland's at this time. And she's got plenty of money and she's got plenty of power. And she's not going to talk about it because everyone else has put her up against being the one who made this up and i i feel like she's being railroaded oh yeah because everything else points to that well also i i feel like again like i don't know how i'm supposed to feel about this like when when it ultimately ends up being being jason who kills her i'm like yeah is that supposed to be funny is that supposed to be shocking are we are we supposed to believe that she deserves this in some way mm-hmm. i i i don't because i don't think the audience was supposed to like her I mean, and if they were, they did do a very good job of writing the no, character. They did a terrible she job of that. Terrible yeah. job of writing the character. But I, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about her after, after going on this. You know, you know, oh, you're doing this because you have a small penis. You know, I, I, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about that when it's you know she's ostensibly on Jason's side, and then he just kills her for no reason. Yeah, I mean, just, just to get her out of the way, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I guess because she's an obstruction, like, getting in the way of momentum at that point. Yeah. Well, and it's also, it's very telling, too, that however this sequence of events played out from screen to, from script to screen, that at some point there is the starting, there is the sort of germinating idea that here's how we're going to have this female character antagonize this fictional male character, and we're going to have her insult his penis and his masculinity and those will be that like you look at the change in freddie's face when she uses that homophobic term and associates him with homosexuality he looks he looks angry he's like wait excuse me like you see this change in his eyes it's been all fun and games and puns up to this point but as soon as she starts attacking those very conventionally aligned 
ident like masculine identity points, well, then it's just he's nonplussed. He's beside himself. And that is just so telling for like, what would the ultimate insult be? Oh, yeah. Penis size. Not like genocidal, psychotic dream warrior maniac. But like, oh, yeah, you've got a little dick guy who's not real, who doesn't need a dick because he's not procreating with anybody. And then you have the oh, you think Jason's such a big deal. Well, guess what? He's right behind you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And from a concept standpoint, I can see setting something like that up. It's the execution that I truly do not care for. Yes. And as a result, I'm left with a very bad taste in my mouth. It's true. And it's also so anticlimactic in how she, like, if this is going to be her self-sacrificing moment where she's like, hey, Freddie, like, you come at me, like, my friend's going to get away. It just, like, it's not like a heroic moment of self-sacrifice, even at, at that time. It's just like, oh. She's dead now. He just, not, like, he, just like, he just like swats her out of the way like a fly. Yeah, there's not like a struggle. They don't like, there's no like, you know, grappling on the ground. She doesn't like get a shot in. She's just suddenly, they're, they're, they're 10 feet apart. And then she is almost bisected and thrown against a tree. And you're like, okay, so much for Kia. All right, bye guys. And in a franchise that has had sudden deaths like that, I mean, just to bring up part seven, because we already invoked it before, Melissa's death in that, where she takes a hatchet to the face and gets thrown behind the television, (laughs) at least has an impact. Like, she doesn't believe this is happening. And we've seen her be not a nice person throughout the entirety of the film. And there's a feeling of, not that she's earned death necessarily. Right. But that- when people say, hey, we're in real danger, she's like, I don't believe anything any of you say. Yeah. She leads herself into a bad situation. Yes. And so we're, we are surprised at the suddenness of it, and we feel the loss of that, but not here. And it's all in the execution of it. Yes, agreed. So let us move past this terribleness, and let's <laughs> discuss another moment of the late 90s and early 2000s, and that is wire foo. Apparently, <laughs> yes. Freddie knows kung fu. Gina, um, did you, have you studied in a dojo? Have you crossed paths with Freddy Krueger? Um, how many chambers of the Shaolin do you think he understands? <laughs> you know, I, I have not. I, I have not seen uh, Sensei Freddy. Training. Um, <laughs> but maybe, perhaps he he does it in private, like a like a Kill Bill situation where where uh, you know, he studies in isolation while while doing oh, sure. while doing endless chores. Yeah, mm-hmm. in isolation of the dream universe. <laughs> That's right. He's got those those uh, those dream demon um, sperm fish. Right. <laughs> they, they they teach him, uh, I guess. Totally. Uh, even though they don't have uh, arms and legs, but you know, maybe they have a PowerPoint presentation or uh, you know. <laughs> I other imagine students. it like Dune, like like Lynch's Dune, where it's like the weirding way training sequence. <laughs> sure. And it's him with those worms, <laughs> and they're floating around him, and he has to attack them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, throughout this, we get a lot of it. Like it's basically how many times can we get Freddie to do not that much damage to Jason? <laughs> and then when he does cause damage to Jason, all of a sudden, little did we know how much blood oh is contained God. within Jason Voorhees. <laughs> everywhere. It's everywhere. It's gushing. I'm- He's an immortal ghoul. He doesn't have, (laughs) he doesn't need a cardiovascular system. No. Therefore, having lots of blood, unnecessary for him. He does not need to breathe, therefore needing to drown again. Right. Not necessary. As we brought up last week, and I reiterated today on Twitter, uh, Gina, I wholeheartedly believe this is the realization of the entire, entirety of this film sequence if i see this motherfucker walk along the atlantic ocean floor <laughs> i'm not worried that he has some <coughs> a little bit of fluid in his it's lungs. true that's a very good point uh, it, it's fucking wild so they have this whole sort of gigantic action fight sequence um, oh yeah it's like it, it's very matrixy like this is very yeah. much a fight that takes place in the matrix universe yes and it's very blue it feels very bright with the white hair <laughs> sequ- i mean this is why you brought ronnie you to 
the set because you knew he would be able to pull this off. Right. And he does. It's just there are weirdities within it, namely how much blood comes off of Jason Voorhees. <laughs> and, and then there's this whole thing where Jason gets skewered into the ground. and By a bunch of rebar. By a bunch of rebar. And then Freddie, in again going back to his Looney Tunes roots that we really saw developed in, in Freddie's Dead, starts pushing this giant trolley of <laughs> yeah, I don't know where the, I don't know where the hell they are at this point. They're at the construction site that's next to Camp Crystal Lake. That seems to be like there there seems to be a big like concrete element involved in this, maybe concrete manufacturer. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that whole giant uh tub that gets swinging around and becomes this endless ping pong unless you don't need it like it's never making noise when you're just looking at jason bleeding but every other sequence it's like pinging and causing freddy to fall off of this thing (laughs) and they end up in this giant up close fight for 45 seconds and it is useless it is and it, god you're right it is long it just it is. keeps oh, yeah. going it's just like it's one thing to have the the compressed air things go off because i'm not seeing that in every movie like yay oh congrats. like the, the like oxygen tank rpgs yes yeah. <laughs> yes the the sudden the improvised scud missiles yeah that, those that were Freddy, cool that was cool yeah that's that's great but 45 seconds of them just like tussling it's kind of like hold on like a a couple minutes ago he was like doing giant flying v kicks and then i was like "Eh, eh, body shot body shot right if this is all you've been bringing to the table all this time i don't know how you made it all this many franchise installments (laughs) freddie yeah but that giant cement uh pendulum knocks them clear out of that construction site (laughs) sends them flying like you've never seen before and they hit the end of the dock and so okay so now we're we're really into our denouement because we're at the point where we're in the mortal combat final fight stage yes at somewhere someone is going for a flawless victory and (laughs) no one gets that they just get a victory uh, but during this, this is when uh, Lori and Will decide to start dousing the dock in gasoline. I have been really looking forward to talking to you guys about this because did I miss it or did that fire serve no goddamn purpose whatsoever? <laughs> it keeps them, I guess, from getting off the dock. It forces <laughs> them to to fight it out in, a, in an enclosed, it cuts them off. From everything else. So I guess strategically it absolutely (laughs) works, but the, I I just don't, it comes kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh And then for reasons I, I don't quite know, Lori is sent to go back to the burning cabin to get two, count them two (laughs) pieces of flaming wood and is running Water bra, very much intact. Yes. towards camera. She reminds me of that scene in, um, Oh god, I can't remember which one of the Lord of the Rings movies it is, but there's like an like an orc running with like two torches. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I, well, I don't remember that orc's water bra holding up quite like this. Uh it's it's again back arched the entire time. It is very unfair to this actress to be put in this position. Yes. And yet here we are. I'm just the reporter here. Yes. I'm just the observer. So she comes back with a flaming wood and throws it. Everything catches on fire, including a propane tank. And then we get, oh, between the two of them, a conversation we do not see where they're like, hey, do you remember that sequence in True Lies where the <laughs> propane tank blows up? <laughs> Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so they do. Meanwhile, on the dock, you're having a whole lot of like, Oh, I take off your fingers. Oh, I'm going to take off right, your arm. Right. I'm going to stab your heart. I, I poke your eyes out. It, it's a whole lot of like getting them down into where they, neither one of them is in any condition to continue fighting. And yet they do. Yeah. Immortals being dismembered. Yes. Yeah. I do. I and, do like, I do like Jason's little puzzled look at his hands after like, after Freddy <laughs> cuts his fingers off. Well, at least that's consistent. That's a flashback to that part four thing where his hands split open and he's just looking at it like, oh, the fuck, that can happen? <laughs> okay. 
Well, all right. Okay. Well, you know what? That I got that coming. I come into a fight with the with the machete. I got a, a figure that sooner or later that machete is going to be used against me. <laughs> yes. But we get an explosion, and um, again, I'm going to give the film props. This is a fantastic explosion. <laughs> it's excellent. They have this covered from every fucking angle. It's true, and you can tell the actual physical moment that tank goes off because a perfect circle of concussion goes out in every direction. <laughs> like, holy shit. That's a good explosion. Yeah, that was a, that was a good effect. The team really came through on that one. Uh, but yeah, basically you, you have, you get down to this tussling moment before the explosion. And what, now that we've introduced the idea that, their knives and machete are dicks in yes. the previous yes. scene. You just have them fucking on a dock. <laughs> they just keep, pen- <laughs> they're just penetrating each other over and over exactly. again. Yes. On a, on a flaming dock, which is it's, really very gay. <laughs> really it's very is. campy. <laughs> it's very heavy on the fluids and yeah. they're really going for it. Yep. And it seems very satisfying to both of them. And I'm not going to yuck their yum. <laughs> do but I want to, am I in love with this guy? Do I want to be him? Do I want to kill him? Do I want to be inside him? Do I want him inside of exactly. me? Exactly. It's a real dance. Let's try it all and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And so they have this explosive orgasm. Yes. And- <laughs> and finally, Lori crawls up on the dock, which we get to see her her very delicate uh, lower back tattoo. Yes. And Will appears to be okay-ish. Uh, yeah. they, they've both incurred some injuries. Freddie comes back out of the water uh, with the machetes. It's a bit of a, a, a zig and a zag where you think it might be Jason. Turns out to be Freddie. Then Jason comes and sticks Freddie's clawed glove through his entire body. Impales him with his own knived arm. We got to get bunked with your own body part. Yep. And that's a first. That's a fucking first on this show. Yeah, no, and I, I probably mean- probably going to be last. Because you think that, like, you think that, you know, Jason punching Freddie, like, into the heart is, <laughs> is going to be like, oh, he's going to rip his heart out and that's going to be it. No, we're saving the true heart kill shot for Freddie's own- dismembered arm coming through his back and out his chest. And that is the final blow. And that that's a good idea. And then Jason goes, I'm tired. I sweepy. And he falls <laughs> off. <laughs> it's like, that's all I got. Sorry, kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's been this a long, is, it's been a long movie, guys. I gotta go. I'm tired. Uh, baby needs a nap. <laughs> Fall over. <laughs> and uh, then Lori gets up and we get the Friday the 13th ending with, Freddy, where he cuts off, Fred, where she cuts off Freddy's head. Uh, and there you go. Pretty much the end of the movie, except for the day. And then we never see Will Lori again. Yeah. They're, just, they're gone. They're forgotten. Uh, and then we get this denouement uh, where Jason has regrown all his limbs. Yeah. For <laughs> like for water is his fear, but it also seems like camp. It seems like Crystal Lake restores him. Like water also seems to heal Jason. It's the source of the death curse. Yeah. And that is what actually fuels Jason. So that, that it's like, I know these people paid attention because there's a lot of things that are right. Right. It's just that they decided to write it all out in the grossest way possible. Yes. But he emerges from uh, Crystal Lake uh, reborn anew with the head of Freddy Krueger. And then we get the ultimate Friday the 13th part two nod, which is to a cut scene that we've never seen the light of, but we know was filmed where uh, Jason's mom winked at the camera. Yes. Uh, and we get it with Freddy's head. So one wonders if that is an actual in the dream realm rather than in the real world. We'll never know because honestly, we don't fucking care. <laughs> I mean, I would say it's definitely, I would say it's definitely in the dream world because of the weird sort of like kind of dreamy white lighting and all. It didn't really. It, well, I wondered if that was fog on the lake. Is that morning fog on the lake? Yeah. I, I couldn't decide if it was real or dream. I couldn't decide. I, 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 th- I tend to lean into the dream. Because uh-huh, it's uh-huh. so sudden and everything has grown back so quickly. Yes. Um, so I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I, le- I lend towards dream as. All like, right. All right. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to let Jason think that he's 
back in business when in fact I'm still running his game. I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, it, it, the movie made enough money for them to make a sequel and they decided, fuck it. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> so here you go. <laughs> this is what you get. I feel like so, the, I feel like what we, I think maybe the most crucial lesson I can take from all Verdi versus Jason was, I mean, it, it lets you know how much it you should trust it early on when it kills Catherine Isabel so quickly. Yeah. Any anything that would take Catherine Isabel out of the running in its very beginning minutes can go straight to hell. Obviously, they didn't really know the market because, <laughs> because <laughs> you would honestly, unless they were thinking, well, the audience will that that we're going for is is going to be into Catherine Isabel so much that when we take her out early, they'll go, well, I don't know who's going to go next, which <laughs> is very untrue because they set it up in the most formulaic fucking way possible. Yes. Yes. But it is come to that moment where we, we must decide we, we have to choose our own death venture. That is where we decide of the deaths presented in this movie. If we were forced to die one of those ways, which one would you choose and why up for bid? We have, um, kind of impaled against something that like a coat hook uh-huh. and die alone in a forest <laughs> in a very depressing manner or you can uh get suddenly hacked out of nowhere and fly 20 feet into a tree uh, or you can get impaled by your own clawed arm <laughs> or have your heart torn out and just end up kind of sleepy and fall off here <laughs> Uh, Jordan, as our guest, I turn to you for your answer first. I am going to go, I'm actually going to go with Kia's death on this one because it happens, there's almost no time for fear. She just dies so quickly. And the only screen aspiration I've ever had is to be the first death in a horror movie. And I think the absurdity of this death where it, she basically gets, cut in half, flies through the air at a blinding speed, hits a giant yeah. tree and collapses to the ground like a rag doll, dying instantly, is as is that level of bombast that I would like as a as an opening death in a horror movie. So I'm going to go with Kia's death. It is certainly one way to go. Now, how does your hair look in an ombre? <laughs> Not, I can pull off, I can, I can pull off, I think we would do a belliage in okay. 2020 as a substitute for that. Sure. The chunky okay. highlight I think would be tough on me, but I think if I went for like a black and blonde mix, I think mm-hmm. that's the route that I would go. I don't know that I would do the red highlights for myself personally. Okay. I think that's acceptable. Gina, what say you? You know, I was thinking Linderman because, you know, because he looks pretty peaceful. He he, he looks he does. pretty re- resigned to, to his fate. But on the other hand, that also seems like a, pretty painful way to go so um i am gonna go with uh getting my heart ripped out and just taking a nice little nap just you know curling up and <laughs> laying down and getting a little shut eye you know that that sounds yeah. pretty good right now yeah that's relatable and you don't sink into the water right away you're kind of like up at the surface for a little while while the oxygen that's been built up so slowly depletes yeah, all right you, you know so, so, so slowly sink like jack dawson you know it's, 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 it's not bad <laughs> You know what? I'm going to go with having a clawed arm shoved through my heart. It's a great choice. That's a great choice. Because even if that, even if I do survive that even for a little while, then I'm getting decapitated mere moments after that. Yeah. So I I think. And the drama of it, just uh, the drama of it is very impressive. Oh man. My mom would be so angry if she heard, you can't have an open casket. Because a clawed <laughs> arm went through his chest, and we don't know where his head is. <laughs> oh, it's worth it for that alone, in my estimation. Um, and so that brings us to an end. But before we go, uh, Jordan, uh, tell people where they, where what you do, and how they can find more about that stuff and consume it. For sure. Well, uh, as you mentioned, I am the co-host of the Disaster Girls podcast, in which me and my co-host Amanda Smith. Uh, talk about disaster movies, old ones, new ones, made for TV ones, creature features. We throw those in there too. And I am also writing every day on New York Magazine's uh, website, vulture.com. And we are delivering you really, you know, um, the best of content in and out of quarantine time. So do check us out. I'm our resident horror and genre expert. So 
Come find me. Absolutely. I I find you a vital Twitter follow. Thank you. I, I like to think it's a good space. I like to keep a good space on Twitter. Absolutely. Uh, do it today, people. Uh, Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? Uh, excuse me. I'm a, I'm a writer and associate editor at thespool.net, uh, which I review movies and TV shows. Uh, by the time this goes live, I will have done reviews of the the movie The Other Lamb, the HBO series Run, and uh, other sundry TV shows and television sh- and movies. Um, that is the spool.net and I am on Twitter under porcelain seven two. Oh yes, today. I suppose I should say I'm I'm on Twitter at Jorker J O R C R U. Yes, you absolutely should. Um it, we're on Twitter at Kill by Kill Pod, uh Instagram Kill by Kill Podcast. We have the Facebook uh group and the, the page uh to for varying levels of participation. Um and please rate and review us on iTunes it allows us to be seen and heard by more people. Now, this is uh, an end. This is four <laughs> years. Four years in the making. We, four years ago, we started wow. talking about Friday the 13th. Four years later, we have come to the end of Freddy that and is Jason. nuts. I, I never want to say the words Jason or Freddy ever, ever, <laughs> ever again. <laughs> it's going to be weird if we have on a Freddy or a Jason as a guest. <laughs> <laughs> They're going by their middle name for the episode. Yes, That's exactly. The what do you think? You. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the body count continues, folks. We're not. We're not done. Okay. <laughs> we're diversifying over here, so we're going to move on to an interesting new phase. When season three starts, our first guest is Eric Ziska. We're going to talk about ten to midnight. One of the grossest weirdest Charles Bronson cop movies you've ever seen. It's kind of a serial killer thing. It's kind of a horror thing. And it's kind of just Charles Bronson being really right wing about a lot of stuff. <laughs> and it's just, oddly and just, sweaty and naked. And, wow. wave, and waving a sex toy around. <laughs> what do you use this for? What do you use this for? <laughs> don't, don't, don't shake that sex toy at people. That's uh, like Fight Club. That's the number one rule. Don't shake someone else's used sex toy at them. <laughs> and that's it's just a good we're, rule. We're gonna get weird here. We're we're gonna we're gonna lay off the franchise a little bit and try to bring out some of the weirder ends of of what people have enjoyed in the podcast. We're gonna start with Ten to Midnight, but thank you for being for us for this journey but don't don't stop like the foot the body count continues people that that's what i have to say stick Gina? with us stick with us stick stick with us gonna get, stick gonna, with um, them you guys stick with them it's gonna it's gonna get it's, it's gonna get fun it's gonna get a little gross but it's gonna it's yeah. always gonna be fun a little gross and occasionally depressing but never not fun <laughs> that's right uh, much like the world itself exactly <laughs> very much so uh, it is respite in this world uh, and we're all going to need it and so for myself and for Gina and for Jordan bye bye everybody bye